Only three of you guys walked out, so that was perfect. Let's talk about money. Can I just give a couple disclaimers up front that I want, I want to make sure everybody understands that this is a series on money, not because the church is hurting financially, we're not desperate, we're actually really, really in good shape in terms of our budget. Uh, you, church, have been generous. In a crazy year that was 2020, you gave above and beyond what you gave in 2019, so go ahead and congratulate yourself because I think that's awesome. Now, that's general giving, that's tithes and offerings that go towards the ministry of this church. It's not even counting the Vision 2020 uh, you know, um, funds that were given, that were sacrificially given for some of the renovation that we've, take, that we've done in this place. So that's the first thing. This is not a series because we're hurting. As a matter of fact, we're in a, we're in a strong spot as a church. Second thing I want you to know, and I want you to, I want you to be relaxed on this one, I have no idea what you give. I, as the pastor, have no idea what you give, so rest easy. I, I was taught this a long time ago by veteran pastors saying, you don't want to know what people give. It protects your heart because, after all, you're human, and, and, and it, it removes the temptation. Not that I would, you know, give into the temptation to treat people differently by what they give. So rest easy. I'm not judging you if you give or don't give. I'm just judging you on how you dress like everybody else judges you. <laughs> Listen, whether you give or don't give, whether you give a little or a lot or nothing, you are welcomed here at Radiant. You are loved. We will love you. We will walk alongside you in faith. And we're so glad that God has brought you here. So then if that's true, if you're welcome here, no matter if you give or don't give, if it's true that um, the church isn't, why are we doing this series? Why talk about money? I mean, aren't you concerned that it might make somebody uncomfortable, Jerome? Wouldn't it be easier just to kind of avoid this subject? Well, the answer to those questions is yes. It would be easier on me to avoid this subject but I'm gonna risk making someone uncomfortable because of those things I said we promised to do. We will love you and walk alongside you in faith. See, avoiding the topic of money would ultimately be unloving and failing to walk alongside you in your journey of faith. As a pastor, I am charged with communicating God's truth to God's people to help people grow and mature in their faith. And the topic of money is one of those areas of growth. I have a confession. I haven't always been very comfortable talking about money. I'm not even sure that I'm comfortable right in this moment talking about money. But there was a certain point a few years ago where God convicted me. I think I sensed that God was about to make a change in our life and ministry. Obviously, he brought us here. Uh, I became a, a, a real pastor because I was a youth pastor, right? And it was, it was like God said, Jerome, you need to grow up. You need to grow up and you need to feed my sheep when it comes to the area of money. You see, I, I realized I was more concerned about what you would think about me than your own welfare and benefit. If I kept it easy and, not, and, and, and kind of danced around the topic that makes people uncomfortable, then and maybe you'll like me. But my job's not for you to like me. My job is for you, is, for, is to point you towards growth and spir spiritual maturity. After all, these spiritual principles, what God has to say about money is, is really his thoughts and not mine. So I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just charged to deliver his word. Now I, I've actually come to a place where I take it very, very seriously. And I don't speak about money as the CEO of this church who has to pay the bills and has to make the budget. Um, I speak as a shepherd looking for the welfare of the flock. 
I, I take it so seriously that the, the staff jokes and laughs at me sometimes in staff meeting when they say, when I hear the term, we're gonna take the offering, I'm, I'm like, no, 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 no. We don't take the offering, we receive the offering. There's no exerting of force. There's no leveraging of guilt. We receive what the people bring and the people bring because they hear God's word and they respond to God's truth. See, money is spiritual and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but the Bible speaks so much about money and possessions and how we view stuff. Listen to this. Do you know there are 500 verses in the Bible on prayer? 500. You know, there's nearly 500 verses in the Bible on faith. Do you know that there's more than 2,000 verses on money and possessions? 2,000 verses. More than faith and prayer combined. Do you know Jesus in his, in his 38 parables talks about money 16 times? Seems like it's pretty important, doesn't it? And we're lying to ourselves if we think that money is not important because it affects all of our life, whether or not we want to separate it and divorce it from faith. But let me just say, before we dive into the word here, I recognize that people are at different places in life. People are at different places on their journey of faith. Um, some of us in this room know what it's like to live that blessed life that God's called us to, to walk in that freedom and that joy where we know giving is more blessed, than to, 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 it's more blessed to give than to receive, Right? We're following God's principles the best we can. We've grown in this area. And there are others who maybe you're, you're religiously giving, you're not missing a tithe, but yet there's no joy and there's no heartfeltness to it. It's kind of religious ritual. There are others, I would say, that they desire to follow God's lead. They desire to be obedient to the word. They desire to receive all that God has for them. But the idea of how in the world is that even possible when I look at my finances are gonna sit in this message and go, boy, I, you could appeal to my heart, but... You haven't seen my checkbook, Jerome. Listen, we're just, we're just looking at God's word. I'm not the Holy Spirit. Then there are some who are skeptical who've already made up their mind. Maybe they've had a bad experience and maybe you've already left and you're just listening to this on the radio. This is not actually not on the radio, but I'm just saying. I, I, I believe this message is for everybody in all those categories. As Christians, even the ones who faithfully give, joyfully give, we haven't, we haven't arrived. There's room for growth. There's room. Listen, if you're not a Christian here today, I, I'm gonna give you permission to sit back and relax because this really isn't geared to you. This is geared to those of us who say, my life is in Christ, that I believe him and I live for him that's what this message is for. So sit back, relax, enjoy. But I hope that in the middle of this, you hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus because it's all tied in. We desire to look at God's words so that we can grow in our faith and we can have all that God has for us. Would you turn your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13? Now you would think that I'm gonna start a message with that verse that we saw in the bumper video. But I thought, you know, Jesus stood up and he said that verse, or he said that, that where your treasure is, your heart is. But he said it as somebody who is the fulfillment of what the Old Testament pointed to. He said it as somebody who knew the Old Testament well. And let me, 
Let's take a look at some of the things in the Old Testament that may build, leads up to Jesus actually saying this. As you turn in your Bibles, let me give you some background. The book of Exodus is obviously about the Hebrew slaves who leave slavery in Egypt under Moses' leadership. We know that uh, Exodus chapter 11, God kind of looks at, at Moses and says, hey, you know those nine plagues? <laughs> Pharaoh's heart's still hard, but I got one for you. It's going to be a big one, and this will make the difference. That would be the, the firstborn of Egypt passing away or, or dying in the middle of the night. And that's where we get the Passover, that, that they put the blood on the doors of the uh, people, and then the angel passed over their homes. And so in chapter 12, we read the, the instructions for celebrating the Passover and what God has done. And then we see um, verse 51 of ch chapter 12 that leads us right into chapter 13. Listen to this. On that very day, the Lord brought the people of Israel out of the land of Egypt like an army. So verse 12 ends. The Passover thing has happened. They are free and heading out. But they're not yet crossed the Red Sea. There's a space between leaving and getting away from the Egyptians. That's kind of in between. They're in that in-between stage in chapter 13. Before we read chapter 13, I think it's, it's good to kind of mention here that what we're going to be looking at is verses 1 through 2 and 11 through 16. Why? Because that deals specifically heads-on with what we're dealing with. But verses 3 through 10, kind of in the middle of those two passages, talks about like the feast, and it's like this is disconnected, but it's not really disconnected because when you look later on in verse 14 and 16, the thing in the middle of the two things we're going to read is actually really related. There's a comparison between the firstborn of Egypt and the firstborn of Israel. Read with me. Exodus chapter 13. Then the Lord said to Moses, Dedicate to me every firstborn among the Israelites. The first offspring to be born of both humans and animals belongs to me. And then skip down, would you, with me to verse 11. This is what you must do when the Lord fulfills the promise he swore to you and to your ancestors. When he gives you the land where the Canaanites now live, you must present all firstborn sons and firstborn male animals to the Lord, for they belong to him. A firstborn donkey may be brought back from the Lord by presenting a lamb or a young goat in its place. But if you do not buy it back, you must break its neck. However, you must buy back every firstborn son. Now, I know what you're thinking. What in the world are we doing in Exodus chapter 13? I kind of feel that way in the moment too. Wouldn't it be easier to go to Matthew chapter 6, Jerome? Absolutely. But I want to show you something here because I really believe that this is the things that Jesus had in mind when he stands up and says, where your treasure is, your heart is. Look at verse 1 through 2, <clears throat> the first part of that. Dedicate to me every firstborn. Your Bible may say something more like consecrate, which is a very churchy sounding word, but consecrate means either to sacrifice or to consider it belonging to setting it apart as holy. This is, I'm giving this to God. It's set apart for him. The basic meaning of, of holy is belonging to God. We think of holy as like, ooh, you're holy. Like holier than thou, you belong to God more than other. I mean, listen, belonging to God, definition of holy, right? Let's work with that one. God claims ownership in this passage on the firstborn of both humans and animals. He does it in other places in the Old Testament, Numbers and Deuteronomy, but just focus on this. Humans and animals, the firstborn. What's his purpose in doing that? 
He wants the Israelites to recognize that he has the right of ownership to their first and their best. Whatever came their way, whether it's their, their children, their livestock, their harvest, he's setting the precedent of, I want the first and I want the best because I am first. You get this? So this, helped, this commandment helped God's people to recognize and remind them of God's place. And what's God's place? First place. Then we go to verses 3 through 10, which is the instructions of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, which is related but not kind of on the nose to what we're looking at. And then we look at this description about redeeming um, verses 11 through 13. Verse 12 says, present all firstborn sons and male animals. Verse 13, but you can buy back a donkey, an animal that is used for work. You present it, but then you buy it back by offering another animal. And if you noticed, if you know anything about the Old Testament, what's clean, what's used for eating, and what's unclean that you don't eat, you don't eat donkeys, right? That's unclean. But the donkeys are there to work. So he says, you present that donkey, but then you buy it back with something else that's acceptable as an offering. You can do that, but if you don't do it, go ahead and break the neck of the thing because everything belongs to God and that belongs to God one way or the other. But don't necessarily offer it as a sacrifice. I know this seems like we're getting really into the, the, the thick of the, what's the word? We're kind of diving deep into some muddy things that seems like, what, this, what does this have to do with anything about me and money? But just stick with me. I want to point something out here. Can we just summarize and say, in this passage, what you see is that clean things are sacrificed and unclean things are redeemed. A donkey had to be redeemed by a clean sacrifice. Firstborn sons had to be redeemed, had to be bought back, were not to be sacrificed, and I think we understood that. I think they understood that because their forefather Abraham had offered Isaac up on the altar um, in obedience to God, and God provided a substitute. So here we see a substitute. Do you see Jesus in any of this? That the unclean is redeemed by the clean? That there is a substitute? All right. Pointing to Jesus. We know in Numbers chapter 18 that the, the redemption price for the son and later, later is developed into five shekels. We won't get into all those details, but, but I know that what we see here is God's ultimate purpose in revealing Scripture, in dealing with his people. There is a point to Christ's death. I think, like, when, you, when, I, when I was preparing this, I wrote this in my notes because it kind of dawned on me, like, there's such a picture of Jesus here that if anyone should recognize Messiah when he comes, it should have been them. I think Paul recognized it when he wrote 1 Corinthians 6.20. For God bought you with a high price. We are redeemed as Christians, right? Because the sacrifice of a substitute in our place. We were unclean. He was clean. John the Baptist says it when he's on the banks of the Jordan River and Jesus approaches and he says, Look, the Lamb of God who came, who takes away the sins of the world. He, he defines Jesus' role perfectly. Jesus was God's firstborn. He was clean, perfect, unblemished in every way. On the other hand, there's you and I, born sinners, needing rescue. 
needing to be redeemed. See, what we're dealing with here in this passage is what some would call the principle of firsts. That the firsts belong to God. And you see it, not just in this passage, but all throughout Scripture. The first, the best belongs to God. Whether we give him the first of our time or the first of our finances, it belongs to God, the first part. See, I know you guys are waiting for that T word, tithing. I'll make a promise to you, we're not gonna, we're not gonna camp on tithing today. But we are gonna talk about it if we define tithing as giving to God that which is first. I don't want tithing to distract you if you're gonna think about, oh, well, wait a minute, that's old covenant and we're new covenant. Oh, tithing 10%. Don't worry about any numbers or percentages. Worry about one number that is one. What is first? What's number one? We'll talk about 10% next week. We'll talk about whether it's old covenant, new covenant, where, where, I mean, I promise we'll dive into it next week. But right now, I just wanna communicate one thing. The first belongs to God. He's number one in our hearts. If, defining, if tithing is defined as giving our first to God, then it's not about giving God our leftovers, paying the bills, buying the groceries, and then giving God. Listen, I'm convinced you can give a full 10%, 11%, 12% to God, but if it's the leftovers at the end of the day, it's not really a tithe. As, the, as a pra- in, in practical terms, if I want to put the CEO hat on, we'll still take your 12%. But for your sake, following the word of God, it's the firstborn, it's the first fruits, it's the first portion. We'll talk about, well, we'll talk about tithing a little bit. Can I just communicate that it's giving our first to God? Tithing says, I'm going to give or consecrate, like the word we saw in his Exodus chapter 13, I'm going to consecrate to you first, and then I'll trust you to redeem the rest. I don't want to jump ahead of myself and talk about tithing, but I won't jump ahead of myself. Other than to say, <laughs> wouldn't you rather trust God with 90% than yourself with, 10, with 100%? This is the one thing I want you to get. If you get nothing else to help set up this whole series, let it be this thing. Nothing to do with 10%, nothing to do with old covenant. I mean, money is spiritual. And how you handle it reveals your heart. The title of this message is, you saw the bumper, it's money and my heart. Money is spiritual. How you handle it reveals your heart. One, one author says this, how you handle money reveals volumes about your priorities, your loyalties and affections. In fact, it directly dictates, I mean, we could all stop there and I would say, yeah, that's good, but this guy takes it a step further. It dictates many of the blessings you will or won't experience in life. You could even say that money is a test from God to reveal our heart. Uh, not too long ago, Heather and I sat at, a, at lunch with uh, somebody who wanted to give us a gift. It was a very generous gift um, to help in a very practical need. And 
they pushed a check across the table and I was like, oh, I don't, uh, are you, uh, you know, you're doing all that because it's a, it's a little overwhelming and you're blessed, but you also feel like, I don't know, whatever shame my mommy raised me with, I just didn't feel right, you know? I love you, mom. I'm, I'm not, okay, anyways. And I remember kind of saying without saying, are you sure? And their response was this. Money is the tuning fork that God uses to tune this out-of-tune instrument that is my heart. I'll never forget that. Money is spiritual, and how you handle it reveals your heart. It reveals faith. Listen, it requires faith to give to God first, right? Yes, just agree with me. Because if I'm going to pay all my bills and I'm going to buy my groceries and I'm going to say, oh, now I can give to God. I have it. I have that final 10% to give to God. Here's the the truth is, after we pay all our bills and buy all our groceries, if there's 10% left, we'll probably find reason to spend that too. And we'll we'll probably find, uh, or if nothing else, we'll save it. But but to give it on the front end requires faith. That is stepping out in faith. And because it's stepping out in faith, I'm afraid that's the reason why it's difficult. And I'm afraid... That's why people of faith sometimes don't step out in faith. And we miss out on the blessings of giving what's first to God. Tithing says, God, I recognize you. You're first. I'm putting you first in my life, and I trust you to take care of the rest. That's why tithing is so important. It's the most tangible way that we acknowledge that God is first. We acknowledge God's first on a monthly basis or biweekly basis or a daily basis when we give to him first, the most tangible way. This idea of, of God wanting the first and God owning the first and fully saying the first is mine. Think about Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. God honored Abel's offering, but not Cain's. Why? You can look really quick if you want. Genesis chapter four. Because Abel's offering was what? The firstborn of his flock. What was Cain? It was not his first fruits. It was, I get, this is good enough. Let me be clear. This is not about dollar signs. This is not about percentages. This is about our hearts. Joshua chapter six the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River. The, the, you know, later, we're in Exodus. They come out of slavery. They wander the wilderness. They finally cross the river into the promised land. They begin to take the promised land. What's the first city to fall? Jericho. What does God say? Hey, the silver, the gold, all that stuff, the spoils of war, of victory, those are mine. Bring those into the treasury. Don't keep any for yourself. It belonged to him. Why did it belong to him? Because it's the first city that was conquered. It took faith for the Israelites to say, oh yeah, we defeated this this first city. We're going to put it all into God and not keep some from ourselves. Because they had a trust that God was going to bring them victory for the next city and the next city. He didn't say, you know what? Defeat 10 cities and then give one portion to me. He wants that first one. When they have nothing to guarantee victory other than trusting that God's going to bring them victory. 
They had to release what's in their hands to receive all that God had for them. Now I know what you're thinking. Some of you Bible scholars, you're saying, well, wait a minute. Joshua 7.1, there's a guy named Achan, my Achan back, who takes some for himself. We'll get there, but not today. It's a bad thing to steal from God. Let me just say that. It's a bad thing to steal from the mailbox at church too. Anyways, that's... See, God is looking at our hearts. When we give God our first, he sees the faith that it requires to give him first. He sees the priorities of our heart. When Abraham offered Isaac, it was more than money that was at stake, right? There wasn't. It was a question of his heart. Abraham didn't wait till he had 10 sons to say, okay, now I'll offer up a son because God asked me to. Nor did God wait for Abraham to have 10 sons. He said, give me the firstborn son, but I promise you're gonna have lots of sons. And Abraham's like, wait, my wife is old and I have a son finally. And now you want this? I got all emotional because the music started. It took faith for Abraham to offer Isaac. It's the same faith that's required for us to give first to God. See, we often will say we put God first in all things, but I'm kind of believing the most tangible way, that tithing, defined as giving God first, it's where the rubber meets the road. It's where you talk the walk. It's not about money. It's about revealing the state of our hearts. Jesus said, where your treasure is there, your heart will also be, right? We always kind of think of that in terms of where your heart is, then you're going to put your treasure so the treasure becomes the money and our heart's following, the money's following our heart. That's how we oftentimes think of that. That's not what Jesus said. He goes, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. In that statement, there's not even a, an issue of money because the treasure is God himself and our heart is our heart. And our money flows where that heart goes. Okay, you got it. Money is spiritual and how you handle it reveals your heart. So let me give you a couple of practical, what do I do about that? Recognizing there's different people at different places when it comes to money, when it comes to our possessions and our stuff. If you're currently not giving God the firsts, I'd encourage you to take a step to do that. Step out in faith and do that. Perhaps you have to reevaluate habits of what you do with your finances. Give God his share first. Then pay your bills. Because I promise you, and I'm gonna wait till next week, but I promise you, God's gonna come through in incredible ways and you're gonna see him do so. Still not talking about percentages, talking about priorities, talking about our heart. 
one way that I'm convinced is a, as a tool to help you make sure that you give to God first and you avoid the temptation of saying, well, maybe this month I'll give to him second or third or fourth is online giving. I know it sounds like a plug for the online giving thing, but I've already mentioned it once today. Heather and I signed up for online giving. You can, you, it's the uh, text 317-676-2040. Text the word give and you'll get a link back and you could, you could give for the very first time, but you could also press this button that says, make this reoccurring. I know it doesn't give you the imagery of like, some of you are super spiritual and I love it because you're sitting there with your checkbook and you're like, Lord, just like the children of Israel stood there with their lambs in line to put it on the altar, I'm writing this check. That is awesome. But for me, I don't even want the temptation for it to hit my bank account. It does, but then it bounces right out and goes to the church. That's a tool to help kind of prevent and resist temptation. Now, let me say something that's controversial that maybe my trustees will be like, I can't believe you're saying this. If you need to take baby steps, take baby steps. Maybe you're not ready to change the amount or the percentage of what you give. Maybe your faith is not in that place yet. Maybe you're just like, God, I just don't know. Can I challenge you? Change the order in which you give. Give to God first. You can cultivate that within your life, that God gets the first. And I promise you, as you see God provide, as you live kind of this exciting journey of faith, the percentage and the amount changes. Just give to him first. Remember, it's not about a percentage. It's about our heart and our priority. Second thing I'd say is be here next week. I've already told you we're talking about tithing next week and a little more in depth. My goal next week is to, to answer maybe questions or objections about tithing. I recognize that there are people who are saying, well, is it relevant to today? Because it's new covenant and old covenant. And, you know, if you already have your mind made up and you don't believe it, then you don't have an excuse not to be here because I'm not going to change your mind. If anything, you could like arm yourself to argue better. If you're a faithful tither, be here. Be encouraged. Let God stretch your faith. I think the only people who shouldn't be here next week or who wouldn't be here next week are the people who actually believe in tithing but don't want to do it. I don't want to hear that message because it's going to make me feel bad. If that's you, you're excused. The third thing, we're taking attendance next week. No, I'm just kidding. The third thing I would say is this, evaluate the other firsts in your life, like your time or your talent. What are you giving to God? He wants the first and the first is his. <laughs> I know I make too many confessions, but when I was studying for this message, I, I felt convicted because um, how do I spend my time? Like I, I'm a proponent of getting up in the morning and spending time with God in prayer, reading your Bible, I don't always do what I propose, but I'm just saying, sometimes I, I wait, sometimes life is busy. And, but I recognize that sometimes I give God my leftovers in my prayer, and my time in the word. I'm not gonna be legalistic about the morning. I'm not saying you must do it in the morning. I'm just saying, give God your best. 
can I just stop and say, I'm not being legalistic about tithing. About like, if you wake up and buy a cup of coffee and say, oh, I need to write my tithe check. You haven't missed the boat. All right, don't be legalistic about this. I want you to take a moment, no matter where you are, and imagine what your life might look like if you start giving God the first, if you're not currently doing it. I would imagine it's kind of like going up a roller coaster. Click, 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 click. You know what I'm talking about, right? And that's def- definitely a wooden coaster. Click, click, click. Like that, the butterflies in your stomach. Like, I am stuck here. I'm locked in. I've already given away God's poor. I mean, I've, 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 I've already given to God. Click, 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 click. And it's like, is this going to happen? And you know what happens when you hit that thing? It's exciting. Some of us are saying, man, my life is just kind of, ugh, it's flatlined. My life of faith is not. Try giving. See what God does to awaken the life of faith, the journey and the excitement of trusting in him. When we exercise faith and we experience the blessings that come with it, we may not be blessed in terms of like the, the wealth of the world and their standards, although God can do that. But I promise you we'll be blessed in a way that the wealthy people in our world would love to have. They'd be envious of you. There's a quality of life that comes with walking in obedience and walking in faith. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word to us because in your word, you reveal who you are. You reveal your desires, your values. In your word, we see that the first belongs to you. May you have the first of our heart. God, I pray for those who are in this room who, have, who are at different places that you would, take, you, you would help us just take that next step transformed into your image because the truth of your word to take the next step, to take that step of faith. We didn't talk about it today, but you said that we can test you in this area. May we be so daring. May you, Lord, be first. In Jesus' name, amen.